Awesome. So yeah, good morning, everyone. We're going to go back to this series we started the year with, tracking through Matthew's gospel, and this year is called The Man, and looking at who is this man, Jesus, and um, particularly these three chapters this year we're looking at, just sort of working our way through in Matthew from Matthew 11, 12, and 13, the kind of theme is how different people are responding to Jesus in different ways, because he's kind of not what they expect, and we were kind of talking about that earlier in the year, that Jesus wasn't quite fitting people's expectations, even his cousin John the Baptist's expectations, so people are sort of confused and want Jesus to do what they want and play their games, and some people are choosing to not follow him at all. And what we'll see now as we go on through these chapters is that it moves not from just not really understanding Jesus or being confused by Jesus to actually opposing Jesus. And I suppose we're actually only three, four weeks or so away from Easter. And as Joe was saying before, we're in Lent in the Christian calendar. And um, it's kind of a period of anticipation of Easter and starting to realize that Jesus' life direction is more and more approaching the cross. And as we go through the Gospels, each of the Gospels, and in Matthew's Gospels, we see that there's more difficulties and opposition that Jesus begins to face that are ultimately going to lead to his death which we'll remember on Good Friday, but then we celebrate as not the end each day that he's actually alive. We celebrate on Easter Sunday, particularly that he defeated death. But what we'll see today is, is this is partly where it starts to build. This, it starts, Jesus starts to not just cause confusion, but actually controversy. It actually starts to be disagreements and public, um, you know, like people looking for him doing things wrong in public and throwing accusations at him. And today, um, as we read just before, this is all around this issue of the Sabbath. Um, so I'll sort of give some back- background to that. But um, yeah, I'll just pray, and then we're going to look through this, this passage. We just thank you so much, Lord, um, yeah, for today. We can gather as a community who worships you and loves you, Jesus. And thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for your love, even in the face of opposition. Just ask you to speak to our hearts and, yeah, just reveal your heart to us, we pray in your name. Amen. Now, it's, it's really interesting that this is a controversy about the Sabbath, um, because in the passage just before, the last time we were doing this series, if you're here, you might remember, Jesus was talking about rest, and he was saying, if you're weary and if you're tired, and we're talking about how actually a lot of us are already tired, it's only just the start of the year, but we're tired, and, but Jesus calls us to come to him. He says, if you're tired, if you're burdened, if you're weary, come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and my burden is easy and yoke is light. Jesus invites us to rest. This is in the verses just before. The next story we're going to look at today leads to a controversy around the Sabbath, which is all about rest. Um, If you don't know what the Sabbath is, super quick background. In Genesis, God creates the world in six days and rests on the seventh. And it's God kind of resting in his creation and his presence dwelling in his creation. And then he rescues Israel, his people from Egypt. They're slaves. They work 24-7. They work all day, every day. They're, They're slaves. They have no rights. He rescues them. He gives them commands. And one of the commands is to rest on the seventh, just like God did. And also to remember that they're not slaves. Slaves don't get a day off. They're not slaves anymore. They're God's people, and they're to set aside a day for rest, a day so that work doesn't dominate life, but God is at the center of life, a day to reset, a day to slow down, a day to celebrate. The Sabbath is actually a gift. It's, it's a good thing that, that reflects God's creation. It reflects the fact that he's freed them. It reflects the fact that he's their God.
God. And there were restrictions around it. It was a, it was a command, but it was a good command. Fast forward, though, to Jesus' time, and Israel, God's people who he'd rescued, they're in this land, but they're not autonomous. They're under the rule of Rome. They're not free, but they're waiting for God to rescue them again. They're kind of in a form of slavery again, or in exile in a sense, and they're waiting for God to rescue them. And some of them, particularly the Pharisees, believe that God will rescue them when they really obey the law. They need to follow God's commands meticulously, and that will lead to God returning, rescuing them, freeing them from the Romans, and everything being good. So they're passionate about that freedom, but believe the way to get there is through following these rules strictly. And remember, the, the rules, the commands that God gives are good. Um, I mean, some people hate commands and rules. I kind of like rules. Rules can kind of make people feel safe. Like a, a society without any rules or laws is kind of, that's a pretty scary thought. Um, but when rules are really black and white, or when people take them to an extreme, actually not helpful for people. They often become oppressive and, and really difficult um, and, and rigid and hard. And what we'll see is that's what's happened, is that these, the Pharisees particularly are so keen to make sure that Israel follows the Sabbath, they start to interpret it very strictly in a very black and white way, where this command that's meant to give rest turns into a burden, a big burden. And we'll see as we go through this story. So let's have a look. This is Matthew, um, maybe if you can click on to the next one for me there. Thanks, Mel. Maybe you can do it for me. That'd be great. Um, Matthew 12, 1 to 2. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. It's like, oh, it's on the Sabbath. It's controversial. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain to eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, it's, they're not stealing food. It kind of sounds like that in some ways. They, they're walking through a field and taking someone's food. That's not the issue. They're actually allowed to do that. God, in God's law, there was these provisions for people who were poorer. They could take food from like the leftovers of people's um, fields. That was fine. The problem is that they picked it, and they probably had to grind it a bit, and that's work. They did work to do that. And the law says you're not to do any work on the Sabbath. And, and so, therefore, they said, look, in a sense, you're doing work. Right? You're doing what's against the law. Or another way to even sort of translate this or understand this, it's probably a bit more helpful for us, is they're going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, your disciples are being unbiblical. They're, you're unbiblical, Jesus. You're not being serious about the Bible. But what we see is that what they're doing is taking this command about the Sabbath and taking to an extreme very detailed interpretation of God's command, and then applying it in a very black and white way, which can happen. When rules go to the extreme, people are anxious about doing the right thing. It can lead to control, which can lead to fine details and, and this sort of micro-pedantic um, approach. But this is the accusation, right? Jesus, who's meant to be the fulfillment, who's, who's this Bible teacher who values God's word, they're saying, Jesus, you're unbiblical. So Jesus responds by referencing the Bible, and he engages with this debate. It says this in the next verse, from verse 3 to 4. He answered, haven't you read what David did when his companions were hungry? So Jesus starts to reference a Bible story. 
David, he entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Now, I'm going to go into detail with here, but basically, right, they're saying, Jesus, you're unbiblical. His response is, haven't you read? Right? Like, he, he references the Bible and actually says, well, actually, yes, you missed this story here in the Bible. And a super quick background to the story is David is the new king of Israel who's been anointed. He hasn't become king yet, but the old king Saul hates him and wants to kill him. So David has to flee for his life, and he finds himself in desperate need, hungry, and finds himself at the place where the priest is, and where there's this bread that only priests can eat. And David asks for it, and the priest gives it to him, and there's no problem. There's not, God doesn't condemn him for it, God doesn't get upset, the priest doesn't get upset, it's fine. And it seems like the circumstances, right, it's David, he's the new king who's coming, and it's in a state of desperate need. So maybe the Pharisees are thinking, well, Jesus, you're not David, and your disciples aren't starving. Is it really that big a deal? Is that really that good an example? So he keeps going. He gives another biblical example from verse 5. He says again, Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? Again, he says, well, okay, you want to take this Sabbath law to the absolute black and white extreme. This is kind of Jesus' argument. Well, what about the priests? Because no one's meant to do any work on the Sabbath, but they're to give sacrifices on the Sabbath. And the priest's job is to give sacrifices, so the priest has to work on the Sabbath, right? Um, sometimes a lot of people like have Sundays as Sabbath, right? Or Sunday has kind of a day off. Pastors have to work on Sundays, right? Like, this is my job. This is a work day today. Um, and it's not exactly the same as the priest. Well, it was blood, which is nice. <laughs> and, and, um, but the priest, right, had to work. And, and Jesus' point is, well, maybe it's not as black and white as you think. Like, there's, God's obviously made an allowance for priests to work on the Sabbath um, in the temple. And part of the reason, right, is because the temple is so important and because offering sacrifices at that time was so important. So there was an allowance for the priests to work. But then Jesus makes this claim about himself in verse 6. He says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. He says, in the law, there's this provision for the temple, but Jesus is claiming to be greater and more important than this sacred temple. Jesus and his followers are greater. He keeps arguing more biblical arguments from verse 7. Again, he says, If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Again, a biblical reference. And it's kind of a bit of a, like, go at them in a sense, right? Like, if you'd known what it meant, like the Bible, um, this verse in Hosea, which says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, which is this reflection that God's heart is not religious rules and sacrifices for their own sake. God's desire and heart is that we know Him and reflect Him, and He's a God of mercy. And Hosea, they're doing all these rules and stuff, but in their hearts, they're not interested in God or loving other people. And that just completely misses the point. And then Jesus claims again this claim about himself. The one that they're accusing is actually the one who's Lord of the Sabbath. We don't know, he's actually the one who gave the command. He's the one who knows what it means and what it's for. So we see this opposition is not biblical. They miss the point, Jesus' opponents. They miss the point of the Bible. The point is revelation and heart transformation not empty religious rituals. Because it's interesting, right? These, 
these people who are opposing Jesus are the people who know the Bible probably better than any of us, right? Like, they memorized it. Like, they studied it all day, all night. Like, they, they knew it well. They're incredibly passionate about the Bible, but completely missed its point. And it's possible for that to be true of us as well. It's possible that people, and maybe you've even experienced this in your own life or you've seen it in other people, someone can be incredibly passionate about the Bible, incredibly passionate about church and, and God and um, spiritual practices and disciplines, yet completely not have a heart of mercy and love and grace, or even really know God at all. <laughs> like, there's actually a danger, and there's actually a form of control and safety that can be found in focusing on a book or on focusing on rules or commands rather than a relationship of trust and faith with God. This is how Dale Brunner um, says it, this kind of issue. He says, surprisingly, a biblical seriousness, anxious to protect the Bible's message, can damage that message by a false zeal for it. All of us who wish to take the Bible seriously should be warned by Jesus' Sabbath controversies. It's an interesting kind of nuance, right? Like, someone can be really passionate about the Bible but completely miss its point and completely misuse it. Um, just being passionate about the book doesn't mean you actually know the point of it. Now, there's probably two ways you could go with that. One way, I suppose, is to say, well, what's the point of the Bible, right? Like, if, if people are just going to misuse it and abuse it, well, we should just chuck it out. We should just get rid of it. But Jesus doesn't do that, right? Jesus takes it really seriously. And if anything, what is needed is to take it even more seriously, to not approach it as a form of control, but approach it the way that Jesus does as the point of it being to reveal who God is and ultimately reveal who Jesus is so that we can be transformed and know him. The point is not to know the Bible. The point is to know God and become like him. We see this. Jesus says this really clearly in John in chapter 5, verse 39 to 40, again about the Pharisees and the leaders. He says, You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. In other words, the point of studying the Bible is not to study the Bible, right? The point of knowing the Bible is not to know the Bible. There's not life there. The point is to know the God who, who wrote it, who inspired it, and who is revealed through it. That, that's the goal. Um, it's the same with anything to do with Christianity and, and following Jesus, Right? Like, the, the point to pray is not to pray. The point is to have a relationship with God and, and see God move and respond to us. The, the reason um, why we come to church is not so that you can tick that you come to church. The, the point is to be in a community and grow together as a community of God's people. Easily, it's, it's very easily that we can, in our passion for something, completely miss the point of it. Um, this even kind of happened to me on... Friday, Tam and I were going on a date, and um, I'd booked a movie, but I'd booked it pretty last minute, and we we're running late, and we we're going to be late to the movie, and I wasn't going too well with that, and I was driving, and I was rushing, and I was kind of a bit stressed, and I was kind of a bit annoyed, and then it kind of was battling, because it's like, well, the whole point of this is not to see a movie, <laughs> like, the whole point of this is to have a date, so to get frustrated and annoyed because of missing the movie just absolutely misses the point. And it's easy to get caught up in things 
perhaps and miss the actual reason and the, the purpose behind them. And it's good to often come back and say, well, actually, why are we doing this? What's the point? So Jesus responds basically to these guys saying that they've missed the point, actually haven't read the Bible properly. They've read it through a different lens and using it in the way it's not intended to be used. Obviously, they don't like this. And it goes from just accusation to actually starting to want to trap him. So we'll keep going. This is in verse 9, Matthew 12. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So again, this is moved up a notch, right? Like, they're finding a way to bring a charge against him now, and this is a trap. And again, we can read this, is it biblical, Jesus? Is it biblical to heal on the Sabbath? So again, he answers their question. Again, this is in public, right? This is kind of like a public, controversial, probably pretty tense moment in like a worship gathering like this. Uh, it'll be on a Saturday on their Sabbath. Jesus responds in verse 11. He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, Will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So they ask him this question to trap him, and he just gives this response, right? And again, this response highlights that there's something more going on under the surface. He knows what's happening, and he identifies it. We see here that the opposition that is against Jesus is actually hypocritical. These um, people who are opposing him care more for possessions than for people. We just go to the next one. That would be great. But God cares for people more than things. Jesus exposes, right? Like, like they, they're saying that they, they, um, like they, they obviously care about their possessions and would deal with their, if there was an issue with their sheep, but wouldn't actually care for a person in need on the Sabbath. And I don't think it's that they would be against this person being healed, but they'd say, well, just wait till tomorrow, right? <laughs> like, it's not that long to wait till tomorrow, and you could be healed then. Um, but Jesus says, no, that's not good enough. Like, this person's in need. They need to be helped now. And this is a great example, right, of how this command that was meant to be about rest, about blessing, about God's purpose on the earth, has become a burden, right? A burden that someone could not be helped, or there'd be a question mark whether you should help someone on this day. It, it, it's kind of been twisted. Um, Jesus, in Mark, in this sort of same story in Mark, he phrases it this way. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's not that the command, there's a command and people exist to follow the command. It's like, no, the command, it actually serves people. It's actually a good thing that's meant to serve them. So when the, there's an issue that actually gets in the way of that, the command needs to be like there's a flexibility in that that actually works with what's best and what the ultimate purpose of it is. And this is the same for all God's commands, right? Like God has commands and, and boundaries, but they're good. They're for a good purpose. They're for human flourishing. They're because of reality and our life with God and how He's made us and how life works. That, that's the purpose of them. It's not that there's just these things that God wants us to do and we just have to fit into them for no purpose. So it's like, like the mixed-up passion for the, for the Bible has sort of been lost. 
And now this, this purpose of the, the um, Sabbath command has become a burden, and now it's even oppressive. And instead of giving rest, it's weighing people down. Instead of being a day that's refreshing, it's a day that's exhausting, because you just don't know whether you're doing the right thing or not. You just don't know whether you can do this or whether you can do that, and someone might get upset at you, and you might have to follow this rule and not that rule. It's just this huge weight. So I suppose a challenge or like an encouragement for us in this as well is that like right, God cares for people and the purpose is people. But easily we can get caught up and use things, not people. Um, we need to use things, not people, and love people, not things. Um, every good thing right, can become a primary thing and then people can be used to serve that. Whereas often things in life and, for example, the Sabbath is used to serve people. It's a day of rest. It's not a tool that has to, is used to um, control. Anything, right, like, can become like that. Like, like we said even before, like, like, spiritual practices can become the point and we miss the point. Same with other things. Even, like, we don't necessarily have Sabbath, but we have Sunday church, right? And, again, if, if Sunday church becomes the ultimate goal and we use people... And, and burn out people or hurt people just so we can have church. Like, that kind of misses the point. Like, the point of coming together is to love God and love each other and to serve each other. And we need to use that form to serve people, not use people to serve a particular form. Um, the problem is basically a problem of tradition, when tradition and form becomes the focus. Tradition is okay, but when it becomes the focus and when people don't fit, they have to be forced in there's an issue. It misses the point. So these guys are threatened by Jesus, right? They're trying to trap him, and they're doing exactly what he's talking about, right? They're literally using this man's sickness as a tool to trap Jesus, whereas Jesus cares about this man. He cares about people. So in this context, right, he's aware that they're trying to trap him. He's aware this is a public place. There's pressure on Jesus. Everyone's probably watching. They've asked him this question. He's debated with them from the Bible, and then in front of everyone, in verse 13, it says, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. It's just so bold, right? Like, in the middle of that public place, the pressure that's on Jesus, he just heals the guy. He doesn't, he's not worried about the opposition. He's concerned about this man and about his mission, about what God's doing. And even though he's opposed, he's going to love, he's going to serve, he's going to heal. So we see this, this next um, point. Op- the opposition against Jesus now really becomes set. Right? There's, there's been this sort of, I'm not sure, expectations, who is this guy, but now people, particularly Pharisees, have made up their mind. But Jesus loves and does good, even in the face of opposition. Right? Like, he's pointed out the issues. He speaks truth. He's pointed out the issues with their system, with their misunderstanding of the Bible. He defends himself from the Bible. But regardless, he's just going to continue to do good. He's going to continue to love, whether they hate him and ultimately whether, as they will, kill him. The scary thing is that this opposition to Jesus, I think, seems like, is incredibly sincere. 
that they truly believe that Jesus is a threat to the nation, a threat to people. Jesus is a problem. I think they're sincere in that. And we even see this in John, um, John 11, after Jesus raises Lazarus. It's kind of a similar moment of this plan to kill him being formed. I think it's a sincere plan. It says this in verse 47, Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. The next verse 49 says, Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. They form a plan that the best thing for the nation is for Jesus to die. Which is so interesting. It goes on, the passage goes on to say that it's like the Spirit is working through Caiaphas and he's prophesying because Jesus will die for the nation, but for totally different reasons. Not because he's a threat to the nation, but because he's come to save. So the opposition to Jesus is incredibly sincere and is incredibly wrong. Is totally wrong. Nevertheless, Jesus loves them. They're sincere and wrong, and he's going to die for them. They're they're playing that they're going to get rid of him, and that's going to be the best thing for everyone, and he lets it happen because he knows it will be the best thing for everyone, including them. But not because he's a threat, but because he's come to save. I think for us, when we face opposition, it's easy to kind of reject or or criticize or judge if we see maybe someone who we think is stuck in tradition or maybe they're passionate about the Bible but miss the point or they're just religious or often like a word that gets chucked around a lot with Christians is Pharisees, like you're a Pharisee. It's like a way of like criticizing somebody, right? Like it's easy to do that. But Jesus, right, was strong with them he, he, because he loved them. He spoke truth and he was strong with them. He um, didn't just let things go, right? Like he, he spoke truth and confronted, but then ultimately he holds out his hands and loves them and cares for them and lets them do what they will to him, but it's ultimately for their sake because he loves them and will save them. And the truth is that all of us in some ways miss the point. You know, be passionate about something, something takes the place and we end up using people instead of using things to serve people or we get passionate about the Bible or some aspect of church, and then that becomes the focus, and it's not even about God and people at all. And we've all missed the point in some ways, but God loves us and cares for us and does good to us regardless. And I think in a lot of ways, what this comes down to is kind of how do we approach God? How do we view God? Is God a demanding God who's just to be feared and controlled? And the Bible definitely talks about fearing God, which is a good thing, and God definitely does make demands, but is He a demanding God, right? Like, the, who just is like, like the Pharisees seem to present Him to be, of He just wants everyone to obey down to the letter and the black and white, and we just need to really fear Him, and in a sense, protect ourselves by obeying. It's a way of trying to control Him. Is that what God is like? Or is God a compassionate God who's to be trusted and loved? And again, he makes demands. He has commands, but they're for our good. 
and we to trust him with them. And ultimately, he shows his heart on the cross, that he would die for us, that he would love us. Jesus' heart, that he wants us to have rest, not be burdened by demands. Um, The invitation, I guess, is to come back to this idea that God's revelation of himself is that he is the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Yes, he's holy. He is. Yes, yes, he doesn't let people get off guilt-free, but he rescues us by dying for us. That's how far his compassion would go. And this is, we, we see Jesus is, right? Jesus is this representation of this God of mercy and love who values people deeply, who even dies for his enemies. And this Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and he's Lord of everything, and invites us to trust him and to live with him and to love him. So I'm going to pray. Maybe you could stand with me. And then, um, yeah, we'll sing to finish. Yeah, we just ask, um, Lord, that you'd reveal your heart to us more and more. Um, We just thank you for your word, Jesus. Thank you for um, your instructions, Lord, your your life, your teaching. Thank you for our community. Um, Thank you for different aspects of what it means to follow you and ways to follow you. We just ask that you would be the main thing, that you'd be the goal, you'd be the one we desire and seek, um, that we would know you more and more and know your heart. So just ask, um, yeah, by your spirit, Holy Spirit, you'd reveal the heart of God to us um, and grant us faith to trust you and rest in you. Lord, when we're afraid, um, seeking control, we just ask you to keep us from going to things apart from you and just run to your arms and find rest in you. Just ask for your presence, yeah, just as we worship Holy Spirit. Amen.